0: Welcome to Advancing the Conversation with Dr. Christy Carnahan and Dr. Kate Doyle from the University of Cincinnati's Special Education Department. I'm Ashley Barla, your host. We started this podcast in an effort to have real conversations about the role of self-determination in all our lives, specifically in supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. If you're a teacher, a person interested in becoming a teacher, a parent, a sibling, or a person with a disability, this podcast is for you. We hope you'll join us on this journey as we learn about the role of self-determination in our lives. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. How is everybody today? Great. Doing well. How about you? Good. This is an exciting episode because while it will be the first episode that plays, it is a culminating episode for our podcast for us because we should tell the listeners that we are recording this episode last after we've done this entire first season of the podcast. So why don't we start off by introducing ourselves and I'm, I'll am i go first. My name is Ashley Barlow and I am the host of the podcast. I am a special education attorney. I I'm licensed to practice in Kentucky and Ohio. I am also the mom to a little boy named Jack who has Down syndrome. He also has a big brother, I should mention. And I am a former teacher. So when I work as a special education attorney, I really try to see things from the perspective of the teacher who still lives inside of me, as well as the attorney advocate and the parent and so this has been a wonderful journey for me, and I'm super excited to to get started. Kate, do you want to
1: introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Ashley. I'm Kate Doyle. I'm a faculty member in special education at the University of Cincinnati. I was in the classroom for 15 years prior to coming into higher ed, where I've been for five years. I always worked. I started with birth and then moved up. I think I ended at fourth grade. Um, and when I came to UC, I got to start working with transition age and high school age students. And prior to that, I would have told you, I'm never going to work with anyone older than 10. However, it's funny how life goes. I absolutely fell in love with working with high school and adult, young adults with disabilities. And it really has been transformative in my journey. I wish I had that experience when I was teaching elementary school, really to see the big picture in terms of sometimes the what feels so important when someone is nine in the big picture maybe not may not be as important. Really have an interest in working with pre-service teachers as well as graduate teachers. My interest primarily is working with students with autism or more significant disabilities, but love working with all students and teachers, and personally, have three boys and a husband and two dogs and a cat at home. Christy, Hi, everybody.
2: I'm Christy Carnahan. I'm an associate professor in special education, and I'm also the director of advancement and transition services at UC. ATS is a center at UC that serves about 150 individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities each year who are about 14 years old and into young adulthood and uh, in three different programs. So uh, today here, like in this podcast, I've really been coming with that hat on as I'm a teacher by training and I taught kindergarten through third grade and middle school and like students up to the age of about 16 um, and have worked in rec leisure settings with older adults actually. But most recently my work has been really centered in, in ATS and working with individuals who are in that transition transition age and young adults, which I also love, Kate. I've learned so much stuff I wish I would have known when I was teaching kindergarten through third grade made a huge would have made a huge difference I think and my passion what i really like doing is looking at literacy and communication interventions for people who have pretty complex support needs related to communication and behavior and that's this podcast has been great because i love talking about self determination and really in my mind it's getting my mind like swirling about the connection between self-determination and academic learning and what happens with literacy and communication interventions for people and what the link is there. And in my personal life, I'm the mom of three kids. The oldest is almost 16, which is terrifying to me. And the youngest is approaching 12. And I have a husband and a family that I love to spend time with. And just have really, this has been that highlight of my weeks doing these podcast sessions with you all and talking to all of the guests has been really enjoyable. So I really appreciate it. I have
0: appreciated it too. And that's actually what we decided to talk about today is kind of the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about how the podcast has impacted us and kind of lessons that we've learned What can we start off, though, and talk about why you all wanted to do this podcast?
1: Sure. So a couple reasons. We have been exploring self-determination for the last two years. And we, Christy and I, will uh, on Friday night send each other journal articles uh, in a text. But recognize that that is probably not what most people want to be doing on a Friday night. but. So we really wanted to find an outlet that allowed us to have this discussion because we really felt that the implications of of self-determination were relevant for so many people, teachers, families, pre-service teachers, and how can we have a dialogue about that and really help people understand the importance of it, how interesting it is, and really by having a, a lens of self-determination will really impact what kind of teacher you are, what kind of parent you are, and the outcomes for individuals with disabilities. Christy, what do you want to add to that? I think I would just say that by talking
2: about self-determination, I I, I feel like we learn so much and I think we are able to look, even go deeper by hearing other people's perspectives. But I also think kind of sharing some of the good work that's happening at UC is one of the reasons we wanted to do this. I, I think we don't always tell the story of our special education program or of ATS that way. and I'm constantly amazed. Kate and I are here representing the programs, but there are awesome faculty at UC doing great work. There are, our ATS team is made up of seven full-time women who are amazing and constantly, I think Kate and I are constantly learning from them on the in terms of our journey, in terms of what good teaching and what, what it means to actually support people who have disabilities in a really thoughtful way that puts them in the driver's seat of their lives. And so that work like that, the work of ATS to me has changed, I think, Kate, how we teach our teachers for sure. I think it's changed how we approach our research. It's changed how we just, in, in get. I would, dare I say, it probably has even influenced how we interact with our own kids and think about how we parent our own children so that to me I just I love that work and being able to act just carve out time in a week where we're just sitting down and talking about it is we don't get that so to me the podcast has also been a a gift that way just to be able to share the work of what we're doing and being able to tell people about what's happening and actually look at it and hear the stories of people who are like in that day-to-day work and what it means to them too. Yeah,
0: and I think that's what my takeaway has been, ultimately, I have to say something that, it sounds really naive, but not being in academia, it was super interesting to me to learn that certain institutions see included, really look at entire departments through a certain lens for you all to say that our entire department is focusing on self-determination and this is a core value of our department has been interesting to me and i was sharing with you before we started that i feel like i am a very self-determined person just by nature i am very organized i always start with the end in mind it's just innate in me but the thing that i take away from the podcast is that I have allowed myself to parent from a from a very proactive standpoint. And in listening to you all and so many of the phenomenal guests that we've had, I've kind of had this epiphany that I need to involve my children, both my children that has typical needs as well as my child that is disabled in their own self-determination journeys. And I really need to give them the autonomy to be able to set their own goals and to work on strategies to reach those goals. And so I think I've taken on a a different role or I've changed the role that I take on and helping them to come to some conclusions and reach some goals for themselves. It's been such a joy to work with you guys and to, learn these lessons as a parent, I can only imagine how it would impact a pre-service or an in-service teacher. Maybe you all could share how during the podcast and or simply studying self-determination yourselves has impacted you. And maybe you could share either a story about somebody that you've seen kind of experience a self-determination journey or a lesson that you've learned
1: yourself. Sure. I'll go first if that's okay. I think what has been really interesting to me over the last couple of years, and I think Ashley, alluded to some of this similarly, I've been really thoughtful about what kind of parent I am and far from perfect, but becoming more reflective about my role in all of that, in this idea of whose journey is this? And as a type A, at times control freak, I want to navigate everyone's journey for them and make it painless and really stepping back and saying, that isn't what is best for everyone. That's not what's best for a pre-service teacher. That's not what's best for a student in my class. And that's not what's best for my own kids. So really having this respect in the literature, would be called this internal locus of control, but recognizing that everyone needs to have that for themselves and needs to be able to make their own decisions and experience the consequences of those decisions My job is to support them in having enough information to make smart decisions. My pre-service teachers, the grad students, my own kids, the faculty that I work with, that some of the most fascinating work this year for me has been working with two of the program directors at ATS and really having these really involved discussions about what does it mean if we're embracing self-determination for our program? And what does our programming look like if we are embracing that? Most teachers, by just by personality type, often because I think we have to be, like to be in control. And sometimes that is not what is best for students. It doesn't send a message to anyone that we believe that you can make choices and be an autonomous person and handle the repercussions of the decisions you make. So I think that has been what's been most impactful for me in terms of changing how I practice and when I work with others and how I parent. That's awesome, Kate. I would say my brain's
2: going 100 miles an hour here, but I think and a lot of it's related to thinking about what Kate was just saying, but to pause before I want to get into some of that, but one of the episodes that stuck with me probably the most this season was Mary Helen. And when she said, talked about her self determination journey, and she said that a professor looked at her and said, You shouldn't be a counselor. You're too much of a fixer. And I can't, those aren't her exact words. But what stuck with me about that was more about how I'm a fixer. And I walk into situations, and I so often, it just so resonated with me what she was saying. And I so often, I walk in and she said, I could see the answer. And I walk into cl- classrooms to work with teachers and I think, I can I tell you how to fix this in 10 seconds. Or I walk into one of our programs and I think, I can fix this for you. Or one of our st- students does an assignment. And I think, can you, I, just let me tell you how to work, go work with this kid. Because I could, I could tell you, I can make this easier for you. And that, I can't tell you how many times that's backfired. And you know that line that a lesson will be taught until it's learned, man, it's still being learned over here. Like I'm still constantly say with, Oh God, why did I do that? Why did It is not my job to go in and fix every problem that I see that I, even if I think I have a solution. And I think, I think the three of us here probably can relate to this to being, we are helpers by nature, right? And because of the type A personality or it's let me just talk about myself. I'm a helper by nature, but I'm also super type A. So I can walk in and be like, let me just clean that up. And that feels good, right? Like that, what I really have spent a lot of time reflecting on in in part because of these discussions is that actually makes us feel good to be able to help someone that way or to fix it. But it doesn't last. It doesn't actually solve a problem. I was talking to a school administrator recently and she was asking about some work I was doing in one of her classrooms. And I said, Well, that's not what the teacher wants to work on. I just really was trying to let her lead this discussion. And the administrator was like, what? Like, this is not your usual style. And I said, I know, but I this isn't, it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't make me better and it doesn't make that situation better or feel good to that teacher for someone to come in and just say, let me fix this for you. And so I think that like Maya, as I've developed an understanding of self-determination, and let me just say, because I'm sure there might be people listening to this who are thinking, girl, you still got a long way to go. (laughs) That is true, right? Like I get it. Yes, I do see that. But I do think my understanding has come along and it's changed how I approach myself, the people I try, the people with whom I'm working and my family even. And, And there are moments where I can look down out of body and see, oh, man, you got to stop it. And in the moment, I can't always stop it. But afterwards, I'm so aware of, man, I really screwed that up and I didn't put that person in the driver's seat or I bulldozed that situation. And so maybe I have to go back and apologize or maybe the next time I've got to change it. But I think to me, it's been more a shift in, in more about self-awareness than anything else. And about how I approach situations. And it doesn't mean I'm always right, but it does. not I can just think of a situation where my sister one time had this problem in her life. This was a long time ago and it had something to do with a house she bought and blah, blah, blah. And finally, I'll never forget her on the phone and just say, okay, you're right. That's what I'll do. And then hang up because I was relentless in my trying to fix the problem. And it was, and so I just think, all of this is, I'm rambling now, but like all of this is to say that I think my, as my understandings evolved, I feel like I've tried to become more self-aware in how I approach things and I'm not always perfect at it, but I'm trying to get better at it and really trying to step back and say, how do I put this person in the driver's seat and how could I support them if they want me to support them? I might have information that can be helpful,
1: but it's only so helpful if they want. I think that's been, yeah, I know. One way I've, you know, because I I don't think either of us at this point are going to change some of those aspects of our personality, but there are, I can take a different lens on how I want to help someone. I might really focus on problem solving versus giving them the answer, right? I can still, because I, it's hard for me not to talk a lot, but I can change my lens of I'm really going to focus on problem solving with this person or decision-making or self-awareness. So could those skills, are generalizable to lots of problems. I think the problem is when we keep solving problems for people is we never A, let them recognize themselves as I can solve this problem. And then they just, and people with disabilities then will really develop that learned helplessness of there's always someone who's going to solve it for me. So why should I try? And probably neurotypical people Mm -hmm. as well. So, so I think while I still remain involved, I've tried to been more thoughtful about what my involvement looks like and how do I yeah. include the voice of the person I'm talking in far more. Like I've learned a lot from Dr. Kroger, one of our faculty members, about that piece of self-regulatory feedback and taking what someone said to me mm-hmm. and offering it back in a question to make them really think. Because when someone shows up, they do sometimes want you just to tell them the answer. But, and when I look at the big picture, that isn't always what's best for a future teacher situation. We need them to really reflect on it themselves. So that has really been helpful in terms of me help thinking about that. And I, think I think that's what, a nice framing.
0: I think that's really beautiful. So one of my favorite books that I talk to people a lot about when I'm talking about advocacy at the special education and the special <laughs> education sector at the IEP table and beyond I talk about this book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. The author is Patrick Lindsay. And what he talks about is how you have to have ideological con in order for everybody at the table to get by. If everybody just kind of nods their heads and is, as this, the bossy blonde lady, in my case, is telling us we have to do this. So they're like, all right, fine, we'll try it. We're going to try inclusion or we're going to try working Gillingham reading strategy or we're going to try whatever because that lady's not going to shut up until we try it. They aren't going to get buy in unless we have that ideological, conflictual, doesn't have to be adversarial. But unless we really talk about the ideology, we aren't going to get buy in. And then everybody kind of gets this like false sense of harmony of, yeah, it's going to be great. And then what happens, actually, interestingly, is egos get in the way and people are like, it wasn't my idea. It was the glossy blonde lady's idea. And so I almost kind of hope it fails. And the student at the center of that person that, Becomes disadvantaged. And I think if we then translate that to the way that we quote unquote help or support a person that is disabled, we what we're trying to do is we're trying to form teams. And if we work as a team, we have to have that ideological conflict. So we can't go in and say, oh, you're gonna do A, B, C, and D. We actually need that person to help us to determine those goals and to foster that ideological conflict. To say, that's not what I want, or that's not how I want to get there. Those aren't the skills I want Mm -hmm. to work on. And so like actually forming the team is the important aspect to me. If I think about it through a different lens, it's actually about teamwork, which we see in other sectors, right? Like in estate planning, we see that when we talk about the idea of guardianship versus a supported decision-making plan, et cetera. It kind of all comes back to that teamwork, actually, for me now, now that you say that.
2: Yeah, and I think, Kate, I think, Kate, what you said about just reframing the helping is a really nice way to think about it, it for ourselves because it gives a strategy, right? But also for, it's not like I'm just not going to help. It doesn't mean you're going to walk into a situation and just say, well, you're on your own. You got to figure it out, which I think is really, that is not self-determination. That doing some of the things you said, sharing information, teaching decision-making, supporting goal-setting, when we're talking about people with disabilities. And I think with our pre-service teachers, empowering them to answer their own questions, for example, is a really important thing that we need to do. And I think when I first started, I would just give the answer. And now I always say, you're going to be really annoyed, but I'm going to answer your question with a question. I think those are, those are that, that reframing when you said it that way, I think that really, that resonates with me.
0: Yeah. This has been incredibly enlightening for me. It's been so rewarding. I really hope that it resonates with our listeners. And ultimately, if we bring some new pre-service teachers over to the University of Cincinnati, that's a win-win. But this has been a joy for me, certainly a development story for me. I think the two of you could echo the same sentiment. So thank you so much, ladies.
1: Thanks yeah, thank you for joining
0: us Ashley. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us. If you are interested in learning about the University of Cincinnati's special education undergraduate or graduate programs, please visit us at online.uc.edu/specialeducation. If you are interested in learning more about our programs for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, please visit cech dot a t s. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at advance the conversation at uc.edu.